Another presidential election is just around the corner. In the past couple of weeks, we witnessed numerous filings of certificates of candidacy by politicians who were vying for electoral posts on all levels. Several issues emerged regarding political parties, election campaigns, and the Filipino voting behavior. This is why we believe now is a great time to talk about Philippine elections and political parties in historical terms. Because party switching and political turncoatism? Anomalous campaign spending? Celebrities turned politicians and the quote-unquote odd voting behavior among Filipino voters? Hindi na bago yan. I am Beck Alporja. I am Liken Velaria. And I am Aaron Maliari. And we are back with a new season of podcast, Conversations on Philippine History, Politics, and Society. Alright, I am pumped. Medyo mahaba-haba din yung naging break natin between the previous season and this new season. But now, we are back with a brand new season. Yes. So, we are calling this season Hindi na Bago Yan. Because we believe that most of the issues that confront us as nations, as a society, and as a people, ay well, hindi na bago. These are all stuff of history as well. And we are launching this season with a conversation on Philippine elections. And to share his insights on this topic, we talked to one of the top scholars of Philippine politics today, Professor Julio July T. Hanke of De La Salle University. So how would Professor T. Hanke characterize Philippine elections or maybe Philippine politics? The, the Philippines takes pride in being one of the oldest uh, democracies in the Asian region. Now, in fact, it is the oldest electoral democracy in Southeast Asia. No? And yet, no, despite this rich and uh, uh, rich history in uh, elections no, and democracy, the Philippines has maintained uh, what we call a clientelistic no, and patronage-based politics. No? So it's largely personalistic. No? It's still dependent on the elites. No? And it is detrimental no, to majority of the people And that is perhaps the reason why we have still to achieve uh, development in our country. No? You know, we've inherited uh, our party system no, from the colonial past. We're uh, supposedly tutored by uh, great democratic United States of America in the ways of democracy. And yet, no, uh, what they have succeeded is really just to transplant their way of doing politics no, into a feudal setup. No? And that feudal setup has not changed because, uh, of course, for so many reasons, no? you know, uh, real change did not occur in all this electoral competition throughout the different periods in Philippine history. That was a very succinct way to really describe Philippine politics. Patronage-based, clientelistic, personalistic, And I think Sir July was on point in tracing back this kind of democracy that we have to the American period. Kasi nga, di ba, hindi na bago yan. And by implication, therefore, sinasabi na talagang failure yung democratic tutelage na ginawa ng mga Amerikano, kahit na yan naman talaga yung ginamit nila, to justify the American colonization in the Philippines. So, Professor T. Hanke pointed out that the beginnings of political parties in the Philippines started at this period. So, Yung earliest political parties in the country appeared uh, during the early years of the American colonization when they started the Philippine Organic Act. 
Okay, so nabuo yung mga mga partido. Pero yung, I think, pinakamahalagang election, which later really shaped Philippine politics, happened in 1907 with the passage of the election law. Okay, so kung saan, itong batas na ito, it created the Philippine Assembly. At itong Philippine Assembly ay uh, nagsilbi siyang parang lower house. So it turned the legislative at this period into a bicameral one. So yung upper house was composed of the American-appointed Philippine Commission and the, Fili- and the Philippine Assembly ay yun nga, nagsilbing lower house. Ngayon, etong Philippine Assembly was to be composed of 81 district representatives. Ano? So, 81 districts yung binoo at kada isang distrito ay may isang representante. And actually, in the first election of the Philippine Assembly, dalawang partido talaga yung nangibabaw. The Partido Nacionalista, and the Partido Progresista. So, ang contention dyan at this period was that the nationalistas were advocating for immediate, absolute, and complete independence. Well, the progresistas believed that at this period, we weren't ready yet for independence and self-governance. Well, in this contention, syempre, ang nanalo at ang nanaig ay yung nasyonalista na nagkataglay ng independence stroke. And by 1916, naipasa naman yung Philippine Autonomy Act or yung Jones Law. So dito naman, nabuo ang unang Philippine Senate. So meaning, this time, pareho nang consisted of elected officials ang legislative chambers. And in the 1916 elections, nanaig muli ang Partido Nacionalista. And for the most part of the American period, there was virtually a one-party rule kasi malakas talaga sila with Manuel Quezon and Sergio Osmeña at the helm. Manuel Quezon was Senate President and Osmeña was House Speaker in a legislature dominated by the Nationalista. And both these politicians lobbied long and hard for Philippine independence. May discussion na tayo on Quezon's career in the last season, but the point of mentioning Quezon right now or talking about Quezon was that Partido Nacionalista dominated the elections during the American occupation and continued to win after the establishment of the Philippine Commonwealth in 1935. Siyempre, may mga internal squabbles din yan. For example, in 1922, the rivalry between Quezon and Osmeña intensified so much so that the party was split between Quezon and Osmeña supporters. So for a time, nagkaroon ng Partido Nacionalista Colectivista. The minority parties at this period included Partido Democrata, the Sakdal Party, and the Partido Comunista ng Pilipinas, and the Socialist Party. Meron ding Partido Obrero o Partido ng Mga Manggagawa. Itong mga malaliit na partidong ito, kumbaga, yung nagsilbing opposition sa nasyonalista in the pre-war years. So, talagang noon pa man, parang multi-party system na talaga yung umiiral. Kahit obvious naman na dominated ng mga partido na binubuo ng mga elite ang politika ng bansa. And after the war, mababasag yung single-party domination ng nationalista sa paglitaw ng bagong partido, yung Partido Liberal, led by Manuel Rojas. Maganda yung pagkakakwento ni Sir July dito. At, at a certain point no after the war no when uh, we have uh, gained our independence no, from the, the United States no during the post-war republic we had what is now familiar to some as a formal two-party system in which we had two parties alternating power no uh, every electoral cycle no so it is uh, patterned after the the same uh, American style of uh, 
party system, no two party. Yeah, in the Philippines, what we had was the Nationalista Party, which was the dominant party during the colonial period. It was it is the oldest party in the Philippines, founded in 1907, and it was uh, headed uh, the great leaders of uh, of that time, no, who supposedly fought for Philippine independence. No, so in the in the literature, this is what we refer to as nationalist parties. No, so. You know, Manuel Quezon and then uh, Sergio Osmeña and then later on Manuel Rojas. After the war, the faction of Manuel Quezon supported Manuel Rojas to form the Nationalista Party Liberal Wing, you know, which eventually won the very first presidential election after the war in 1946. And then by 1947, it uh, renamed itself the Liberal Party. And then from there on, you know, we had this exchange of power between the, the liberals and the nationalistas, no? uh, with uh, Rojas, then Quirino, and then Quirino would be defeated by Magsaysay, Magsaysay would die. Magsaysay was an original liberal who transferred to the Nationalista Party, and then his vice president Garcia, but he, Garcia will be defeated by another liberal, Justado Makapagal, but Makapagal would be defeated by a former liberal, who turned nationalista, Ferdinand Marcos. No? And the rest is history. Marcos destroyed that two-party system by establishing his one-party dictatorship. No? And he formed, he carved a super party out of the carcasses of the nationalista party and the liberal party. And that's what has uh, become the Kilusang Bagong Ipunan or the KPR. So ayun, nabanggit yung simula ng party switching dito sa panayam na to. And uh, he named Ramon Magsaysay as the first post-war presidential candidate to switch parties during his election in 1953. Uh, yung episode natin on Ramon Magsaysay in the second season, tiniscuss natin to. Uh, and of course, another president who transferred to another party was no other than Ferdinand Marcos. Marcos was originally a liberal who transferred to the Nationalistas when his party opted for the incumbent Diostado Makapagal as its standard bearer in 1965. So during his first and second presidential runs, Marcos was Nationalista. But after making himself a dictator, he virtually killed these two parties and formed a mega-party that he called the Kilusang Bagong Lipunan or KBL. But of course, the strength of the KBL was ultimately dependent on Marcos. So after his ouster, umusbong na formally yung talagang multi-party system sa Pilipinas. But what is fundamentally wrong about the multi-party system? Here is Sir July. So after EDSA, after 1986, we have seen the emergence of what is known as a multi-party system. And that's the reason why we have all this alphabet soup of political parties. No? So, ang tanong, no? bakit napakadaming partido? No? Karamihan sa ating mga babayan, sinasabi, ay sana ibalik na lang natin doon sa two-party system. No? Or may mga matatalinong mga mambabatas na sasabihin, I will pass a law that will uh, return us to the two-party system. Ah, excuse me lang po, eh, mali po yun. No? Dahil ang multi-party system ay produkto ng iyong electoral system no? at hindi po siya basta-basta mababago. Ang, uh, ang anomalya sa sistema natin ay when we restored formal democracy, originally 
During the Marcos period, we were uh, functioning under a parliamentary system. And according to the literature, no, pag ikaw ay uh, parliamentary system, mas mainam sa'yo ang maraming partido. Kasi ang parliament ay labanan ng mga partido at sila'y mamimili ng prime minister. Pag ikaw ay presidential system, mas madalas na ito ay two-party system. In the Philippines, no, uh, what happened after EDSA was that from parliamentary, we transitioned to presidential. But in the framing of our constitution also, no, there was a mix-up. No? We institutionalized a multi-party system under a presidential form of government. Anomalous talaga, no? Kasi halimbawa, in Germany, parliamentary system, kaya understandable na multi-party sila. Tapos come election time, these parties form coalitions in order to create a government. So sa Pilipinas, hindi nangyayari yun because of our presidential form of government. Instead, according to Professor T. Hanke, the rules governing our party system at present only allowed for any politician to form a party and thus made party switching or balimbing politics to flourish. Kaya nga diba, someone like Isko Moreno jumped from nationalista to UNA, to PMP, to NUP, and now to Action Democratico from 2006 to 2021. Let's listen to Professor Tihanki's narration about this unique phenomenon. All the rules and regulations have allowed political parties, personalities, to split and form their own parties. No, So because we also have the highest number or highest percentage of party switching in the world no tinatawag nating balimbing politics no political turncoatism no dito lang sa Pilipinas uso yung turncoatism kasi sa actual literature ang ginagamit ay party switching no yung patalon-talon so ang nangyari nung panahon ni Marcos lahat tumalon sa KBL dahil yun ang pinakamalakas at doon sila makakakuha ng patronage after EDSA yung kapatid ni Tita Cory ng parang KBL na partido yung LDP no laban ng demokratikong Pilipino so nagtalunan lahat ng mga KBL at iba't ibang politiko sa LDP after LDP nagkaroon ng maliit na partido si President Ramos then candidate Ramos yung lakas no lakas uh, EDSA lakas UNUCD no Nung siya ay nanalo, nagtalunan lahat. And then later on, nagtalunan kay ERAP, yung laban ng makabayang uh, masang Pilipino. Tapos nung nasipa si ERAP sa EDSA DOS, tumalo naman sila kay Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo. Una sa lakas, then later on yung partido ni Gloria na kampi. And then lahat nagsitalunan sa Liberal Party nung panahon ni Noy Noy. At nung nanalo si Tigong, lahat ay nagpipilaman. So mukhang alam natin kung saan papunta itong kwentong to. No? So eventually, nakikita na natin yung uh, disintegration ng PDP laban dahil tumataya na ang mga iba't ibang politiko sa ibang partido. So party politics in the Philippines is really crazily out of control. Parang political parties were, you know, able to drive uh, themselves to a certain level of chaos or anarchy to the point na halos irrelevant na 
ang usapin ng partido sa pagpili ng mga ibabotong politiko. And I think ang pinakamagandang halimbawa dyan ay si Rodrigo Duterte at ang kanyang relasyon sa PDP laban. Kasi baliktad eh, di ba? Instead of the party carrying the candidate, in 2016, si Duterte ang nagbuhat sa PDP laban. So, he saved his party from obscurity at tinan nyo naman ngayon, leader sila ng supermajority ng kasalukuyang administrasyon. But according to Tihanki, the insignificance of PDP Laban's contribution to the phenomenal victory of Duterte paved the way for the creation of smaller and newer political parties that are all pro-administration. So, paano niyan lalong pinagulo yung multi-party system natin? Pakinggan natin si Sir July. The result of that was that in 2018, uh, uh, Professor Yuko Kasuya and I you know, observed that uh, compared to the other administration parties in the past, you know, only a few candidates run under PDP Laban. You know, and they opted to run with other parties that were aligned with the administration. And, in, and then, uh, aside from not running under PDP Laban, uh, there were other pro-Duterte parties that were formed. Two or three uh, Duterte parties that were formed. No? So now you have a surplus of uh, administration parties. No? So you don't have to join PDP Laban to get the favors from the administration. No? So uh, this is what we termed an anarchy of parties. Because uh, the status of the administration parties being cheapened. No? Ibig sabihin, sa mata ng mga politiko, eh, kahit naman di na ako sumama sa PDP, uh, sasama na ako sa iba. And uh, ironically, one of the biggest challenge to PDP in 2019 were not the other parties, no? but uh, a regional party that was founded by the daughter, no? yung hugpong nagpag- ng pagpabago. No? So, uh, yan, ang, yan ang sitwasyon natin ngayon. No? At imbes uh, na mag-consolidate ang, ang mga partido para ma-consolidate ang demokrasya, ang nakoconsolidate lamang ay kapangyarihan ng iilan na mga dynasties at uh, mga pangsariling interest. Anarchy of Parties So yung magulo ng post-ed sa party system natin, mas gumulo pa. So if you are a voter at ganito ka-anarchic ang mga political parties, magiging interesado ka bang intindihin sila when you are confronted with concerns on your very survival on a daily basis? Uh, so in that sense, uh, we would really need to question the way we frame elections. Why does it always feel like the burden to get to know your candidate? and choosing the right leader fall on the shoulders of the people. Professor T. Hanke had a very insightful comment on this issue. Mali yung sinasabi ng karamihan na bobo ang mga botante natin. No? Yan ang unang-unang sasabihin kong hindi. No? Bilang isang political scientist, mali. No? At sa kakasabi nyo ng bobo ang mga botante, lalong... Lalong nagagalit ang mga butante. No? At lalo kayong inaasar, kaya naboboto yung mga katulad nila Digong, nila Duterte. Di ba? So, yun ang ano, no? Uh, ako, hindi ako naniniwala na bobo ang butante. No? In fact, no, from the perspective of political science, no, uh, there was one author, no, Samuel Popkin, who wrote the reasoning voter. No? At ang, para kay Samuel Popkin, no, ang butante kasi... Hindi naman lahat ng 
ginawa, alimbawa ni BP Lenny, <laughs> matatandaan ng botante, no? Hindi lahat ng ginawa ng ni Pinoy, no? Matatandaan ng mga botante, no? Kasi, ang botante, may kanya-kanyang suliranin sa pang-araw-araw, no? Lalong-lalo na yung mga mahihirap, no? Wala silang, pa- hindi dahil bobo sila, hindi dahil, di ba? Kasi wala silang panahon, dahil, yung mabuhay ka lang ng isang araw lalong-lalo na sa gitna ng pandemya ay napakahirap na no eh pa- paano pa paano ka pa mag-iisip tungkol sa well, let's face it no human rights no yung mga malalaking issue na talaga namang may epekto may epekto sa bansa natin no West Philippine Sea hindi mo mapipilit ang ordinaryong mamamayan na isipin yan no because of law information rationality sabi ni Samuel Papkin no ang ibig sabihin nito no ang tingin lang nila kasi nga may ano information asymmetry no hindi naman lahat yan nakikita ng mga botante so gumagawa sila ng sarili nilang narrative sa utak nila base doon sa mga nakikita nila sa mga personalidad at politiko sa kapaligiran nila no so halimbawa pag walang sistema ng kustisya at mabagal ang mga pulis at wala kang malalapitan sa gobyerno, sino lalapitan mo? Eh, nandyan si Rapi Tulpo. <laughs> diba? At saka, eh, kung walang-wala ka na, tapos hindi, nagihirap eh, ka, wala kang pambili ng tablet para sa anak mo sa online class, nandyan naman si Kuya Willie Rebillami na minigay ng tablet araw-araw. Eh, di siyempre sila yung Pagdating ngayon sa halalan, kahit, kahit sabihin natin na iba ang trabaho ng senador sa executive, <laughs> di ba? Eh, yun yung, yun yung nabubuo sa utak ng mamamayan. No? Ngayon, kasalanan ba ito nila Willie? Kasalanan ba ito nila Rapi Tulpo? Hindi. Kasalanan ba ng mga butate? Hindi rin. <laughs> Kasi kasalanan nung, nung sistema na pinairal natin ng ganito, no? That just, you know, makes perfect sense. Tama eh. Parang the people don't really get to participate in politics, you know, in, in genuine terms. Our democracy is very superficial to say the least. Tapos, kapag yung mga tao, they made electoral choices based on their experiences and their needs, sisihin sila, di ba? Parang, I think it is always imperative to look at the systemic underpinnings of the character of our elections. Hindi sapat yung voters' education campaign because clearly, the voters are not the problem. That's right. And Professor Tihanki had something to say about what should be done instead. Uh, Una-una, from the perspective of the voters, no? ako naniniwala na hindi voters' education. No? Medyo uncomfortable ako sa term na voters' education. I'm, I would like to call it uh, civic education no? or political education. Kasi... For other uh, civic education uh, program, you're not only educating the voters, you're also educating the politicians. No? <laughs> no? So it's not simply a question of uh, uh, voters' education. No? You should also educate the politicians that uh, they're in it for public service and not for private gains. No? What is sad about uh, our, our, our system of politics as we we are now seeing you know, in all these Senate hearings is that you know, even the so-called young people are attracted to government for the wrong reasons, you know, to earn 
not only millions but even billions no so yun yung nakakalungkot noon so, so uh, alam mo nung after uh, the second world war in germany no the german people had an introspection a national introspection on how come somebody like hitler can be elected under a democracy no? and they realized that there was something wrong with their democracy no So the very first thing that they did was really to empower the political parties to be the agents of civic education. So civic education, syempre madami pa talagang kailangan gawin, but I think this idea by Professor T. Hanke is very innovative. O pwede rin bang revolutionary, no? Kasi it shifts not only the burden of making this country better from the people to the leaders, but also the discourse. Baka nga naman, ang kailangan talaga magbago at baguhin ay yung mga nasa poder. Kasi nga, the change that we need is not on the individual level. It's on the system. Exactly. And as Prof. Tehanki mentioned, there are both medium and long-term reforms that should be done uh, and should be achievable with a real sense of political will that would confront you know, long-standing problems for democracy like political dynasties, our feeble political parties na ngayon ay sa to lang, ano, ay naging click na lang ng mga elite na politiko and even the constitution itself. And this would allow us to make important changes in the way we do elections or even politics in general. Prof. Tihanki had, you know, several ideas like the synchronized elections and a serious conversation on constitutional reforms. Professor T. Hanke had a lot of ideas regarding constitutional reform. Pero sa kaduluduluhan, ang kailangan talagang unang gawin is for us, the people, or the young people specifically, to reclaim politics and to reclaim the future of the country post-COVID. I think that this juncture of crises can also serve as opportunities for us to change things and to change things radically. And the proverbial mic has been dropped. That's it for our pilot episode of Hindi na Baguyan. Sana maraming kayong napulot at natutunan. And tune in for new episodes every week. Yes, tuloy-tuloy pa din ang ating monthly wrap-up every end of the month. So kahit off-season kami the past two months, we had our regular monthly wrap-up. So if you haven't listened to them yet... As usual, follow us on our social media pages and drop us comments and messages for your feedback and suggestions. At syempre, visit our website, www.podcast.org. Kasi in the interest of brevity, we have spliced our interviews. But if you are interested in listening to the full interview like this one with Professor Julio Tehanki, these are all uploaded in our website with consent of, of Sir July, of course. So, once again, thank you very much for listening and as always, have a good day.